I just want to mention that Something Came From Baltimore is a labor of love podcast, and I am such a music fan. I am happy to share these interviews with you. However, it's an independent podcast. There's just no revenue stream attached to this project at this time. Hopefully someday, but not today. And I'm reaching out to you, the listeners, to tip and to help support our efforts. It's Cash App and Venmos, and it's available under the name Thomas Gauker, G-O-U-K-E-R. And if you don't have the money, and I know I don't either, I know times are tough, subscribe to the podcast. You make comments, and then you rate something came from Baltimore, a five, please. And what this does, it helps drive future advertisers to the podcast. On the phone tonight, we have Beetle Master Brooke Halperin. Brooke Halperin has a radio show in Malibu, California, believe it or not. Come together with the Beatles. And he has a new book called Experience of the Beatles, A Listener's Companion. Something came from Baltimore, got a hold of him, and we chatted together in a segment called Why It Matters. The Beatles' White Album. We're, we're back, and uh, we're going to talk about the White Album. What is shocking to me about the White Album, I consider this one of my top 10 albums of all time. I find it to be phenomenal. But if you go listen to the anthology video, you, you hear them talk about how they really shouldn't have done this album, and they have reservations as artists. I know Paul, George Martin, and uh, George all had said that they weren't really fond of this album, which blows my mind. I don't know where that's coming from. What, what's your take on that downgrading how great this album is? First of all, the reason why it's a double album is because at the very beginning of 68, they went off to India to the ashram to study with the Maharishi. And they had their acoustic guitars with them. And these are, when I say they, John, Paul, and George, these are some of the, at the time, probably the most brilliant songwriters on the planet. You could only meditate for so long every day. So what happened was they had a plethora of material that they, songs that they worked on and that they initially wrote when they were in India. Okay, they come back to England, they got all this material, an abundance of material, and so they figured, well, you know, we've got so many songs, why don't we do a double album? Which made sense because, again, just based upon the number of new songs that they had written. So I think the reason why they look down and say, well, you know what, it's probably not our best album. Unfortunately, even though they were, had gone to India to find inner peace and to meditate, they, when they came back and they got into the recording studio, it became really ugly. They were fighting with each other. They were not getting along. And some of that energy, unfortunately, crept into the recording session to the extent that Jeff Emmerich, Jeff Emmerich, you know, who was their principal engineer at the time, he actually quit and walked out on the Beatles during the recording sessions for the White Album to give you an indication of how toxic the studio was at the time. So I think that that has something to do with them looking back and thinking, you know what, it was really not a good time for us as a band and as the Beatles because they were they were falling apart. And on top of it all, Ringo quit the band 
at that time. Ringo walked out and quit the Beatles when they were recording the White Album. So that gives you an indication of, I think, the reason why they would look back not too fondly on the White Album. She's not a girl who misses much. Oh, yeah. She's well acquainted with the touch of the velvet hand like a little... It's crazy, though. And uh, most interesting album, I believe, other than uh, Revolution Number no. 9, I'd say that, you know, it's it's phenomenal. And there it's single-driven, but there's no singles. Uh, Obli Di Obli Da came out in 1976. Uh, and, you know, on the rock and roll album, there's nothing else. Uh, Revolution was changed. You have hits after hits with Dear Prudence and Back to the USSR. And While My Guitar Gently Weeps is considered just a, a, just a phenomenal classic. What was the reason for that? You know, birthday, another another hit. I know why. Because they released Hey Jude and Revolution as a single prior to the release of the White Album. That's why. And now and that was the first single on Apple on the Apple record label. And of course the double album, the White Album, was the first album with the Apple label as well. So they felt as though, I'm sure George Martin had a lot to do with this. And this, listen, boys, we've released Hey Jude and Revolution as a single, and now we have this White Album. So that's one reason why there's no singles on the White Album, even though it was released a couple of months after the release of Hey Jude and Revolution. That's my interpretation. Yeah, it's shocking. It, it keeps the mystique of the album. The album is a White Album cover with just, you know... Uh, uh, serial number on it. Um, the yeah. the inside it's filled with treasures of of cool the beautiful pictures of them. Um, yeah. A really the lyrics are there and it has a great collage of really cool uh, you know pictures and then it has the Paul is dead you know clues all in there you know. Uh, yeah. So it's it's just so much going on with this album that's fantastic. One more time. All right, so we only have one show. We can go only, we can talk about every single song. I, I don't know if I can hold you to the ground for that. So I'm going to pick out uh, three or four songs per record side and okay. pick, pick your brain and see what you think about it. Okay. Uh, uh, let's try the side one and let's try uh, your thoughts on Dear Prudence.
John was in India with George and Paul and Ringo. Donovan Leach, the famous Donovan, who did Sunshine Superman and Mellow Yellow, etc., etc., was also with the Beatles. And Donovan taught John and Paul how to fingerpick the guitar. Really? Yes. So that's why Dear Prudence has the repetitive fingerpicking that came directly off Donovan teaching John how to do that. So, Dear Prudence, of course, as you probably know, is John speaking to Mia Farrow's sister, Prudence, to come out of her hut. Because Prudence Farrow stayed in the hut all the time and she never came out. So, John was like, hey, come out, see the sky, greet the brand new day. The sun is up, the sky is blue, it's beautiful, and so are you. So, he's actually singing a song to Prudence. Musically, it's, it's brilliant. It's, yeah. it's one, I think, one of the best, because it really is, it's a solo John song. You see, that's the thing about the White Album. The White Album, unlike, let's say, Rubber Soul and Revolver, the White Album, for the most part, is solo Beatles and the other Beatles backing up the Beatles. That's really what it is. It's unlike their previous albums, it really is. So, this is the John song, but boy, Paul McCartney's bass line yeah. in Dear Prudence is absolutely one of the best bass, time, bass lines ever. Absolutely. And you know who's playing the drums no. on Dear Prudence? Is that Paul, Paul McCartney? Also? Yeah, because Ringo had quit the band. So Paul said, okay, well, you know what? I'll pick up the drumsticks because Paul, as you may know, played drums with the Beatles when they were playing back in Hamburg first when they didn't have a drummer. So another example of Paul's I was told that this meant hash. You put hash and you burn it in a glass and it smokes up and it create, looks like an onion effect and then you, you smoke it. So <laughs> that's what the glass onion, it's a drug reference. Now, am I right or wrong? I, n- I never, ever heard of that interpretation. <laughs> <laughs> no. I, despite, I, never, I never heard of that before. No. So I'm chuckling so much. Yeah, I know. Uh, that's what I was told is like there was some kind of hash was popular back then and they would it's come like in a block of some sort and they would burn it and it put it under glass and it would create an onion effect and that's what glass <laughs> onions about uh, we'll have to, what, what's your ta- what's your take on it other than that thought process well it's actually it, it's slang for a monocle a glass onion you think about it you know a monocle just one single lens covering your eye is considered to be a glass onion in England. Oh, wow. That's my. That's okay. where I. That's where I think the title comes from. Yeah. Wow. See, However, he does say he talks about a dovetail joint, yeah. right? So those those lyrics are in glass onion. You know, that's the beauty of this album is that we can talk about it, and we're both fans, but the interpretations are all over the place because of how open the lyrics are to, to be interpreted. Um, I'm going to give you one more, which I thought is also 
uh, happiness is a warm gun. What's your take on that? Mm. Yeah, it's actually, it's a throwback. It's John going back to his early rock and roll roots. But I'm talking about when it gets into the bit where they're actually singing, happiness is a warm gun. You know, that's almost doo-wop, right? It goes yeah. back to like this. But the bits in front of it, I need a fix because I'm going down. Mother Superior jumped the gun. This is not a girl who misses much. I mean, that stuff, it's like it's like there's three different songs going on. This is a John Lennon medley. That's what this is. We talked about McCartney doing medleys. This is John Le John Lennon medley. You know, the first bit, she's not a girl who misses much. The second bit is I need to fix because I'm going down. And then finally we get into the third bit, which is happiness is a warm time. It's a it's a beautiful, it's an incredibly ingenious, very creative medley. And John, more than George. Uh, certainly more than Paul, gets into mixed meter. In other words, he'll do something in 4-4, four, four, then he'll throw in a couple of bars of 3-4, then he goes back to 4-4, four, four, and this this medley is filled with different time signatures. John was, I think, creatively with this song, on fire. You know? But then again, what is he talking about lyrically? What is he saying? That happiness is a warm gun, bang, bang, shoot, shoot. You know, it's not, I mean, this is a guy who, was into peace and love, and he's talking about happiness as a gun being warm, which means it's something's just been fired from the gun. Kind of bizarre in a way that he would actually write that lyric, especially knowing what his fate was. Now, I was told, or I read, or I, I made it up that uh, I can't find my source. That happiness as a warm gun means heroin. Happiness yeah. as a warm gun is could actually yeah. be a needle. Yes, uh, that's correct. Uh, the man who gave us Imagine is doing bang, bang, shoot, shoot. So it would be an anti-NRA message also. You could look at it. You know, we loved our guns. We still do. And that yeah. song is uh, is, is uh, it's very foreign to, to people from other countries. So to your, to your point about heroin, I mean, the second bit in the song is he's saying, I need a fix. <laughs> so yeah. you couldn't be more explicit. About wanting to shoot up if you need a fix. I mean, come on. That's what that. I mean, that's my interpretation of the lyric because he's going down. Let's flip the album over to side two, okay. where we have so much to choose from here. Every song is fantastic. Let's go with uh, Martha, my dear. Actually, actually quite similar. Now, Martha, my dear, 
is, I'd say it's more of a classical piece than pop or rock. Certainly it's not a rock piece. You could say it's pop, but it's very classical. The piano part is very classical. And then to add to it, you got George Martin doing the brilliant brass overdubs orchestrations to the song. Of course, people say, you know, it's about Paul's dog, Martha My Dear, because he had a dog named Martha, but there's other interpretations. Some people say, no, it's not about Paul's dog. I think it's one of the best songs on the White Album. No, I think it's great. It's every, anyone who is chasing the Beatles would love to put a Martha My Dear on their album. You know, XTC or Todd Rundgren or even Eric Carmen and the Raspberries. If they could get one song that was even remotely as good as Martha My Dear, I think they'd be happy. <laughs> and also, it's a complex song, actually. Musically, the chord changes. It's, it's, it's complex McCarty songwriting, for sure. All right. So what I'm going to do is just go right to the next track, which is I'm So Tired, which is uh, a really cool, interesting blues song from John. I'm so tired I haven't slept a wink Well, it starts off as a blues song, and then the, the second bit is straight, flat-out rock and roll. So it's another combination of like John having, I think, two musical different ideas and fusing them together beautifully, right? I'm so tired, I haven't got to sleep, I haven't had a wink, should I get up and have another drink? But then, then he's going, I give you everything I've got for a little peace of mind, right? I give you everything I've got for a little peace of mind. So you'd say, mm, you're putting you on, but it's a no joke. I said, do no harm. So that's quite different from the very opening part, which is kind of sleepy, you know, because he's talking about I'm tired. So it's kind of sleepy lyrics. And even, even the tone of his vocals is very, very different from the second bit where he's actually pushing out more vocally. But he talks about, I give you everything I've got for a little piece of mind. And then you have the next honest song that he has is the last song on on, the, on this side, side two is Julia. Half of what I say is meaningless, but I say it just to reach you, Julia. 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 Yeah, Julia. Well, again, there he there he is once again doing the guitar finger picking that he learned from Donovan. That's extremely exemplified in Julia because all it is is it's a solo John song. It's one of the perhaps the only solo John song in the entire Beatle repertoire in terms of him being the only person on the track and just one instrument, right? I mean, you can say that Yesterday is another solo Beatles song. Of course it is because it's just Paul. But getting back to Julia, it's an absolutely heartfelt song that John wrote for his mother. It's all about his mother. Now also, he, he brings Yoko into it because on the bridge he talks about Yoko on the lyrics. But it's, an, it's one of, I think, one of the most beautiful love songs that John ever wrote. Yeah, I agree. It, it could have really been in his uh, Plastic Ono album for It's Honesty too. It's just kind of a precursor to what's coming up with a, his solo album. Well, what, yeah. In other words, like, um, let's see, there's a couple of them on the Plastic Ono band, similar 
guitar picking. Yeah, exactly. That's right. That's exactly right. We're gonna we're gonna pull this album off, put it back in its sleeve, and go to side three. Okay, so this song to me is pure pop, beautiful and wonderful. It's called Birthday. It seems like it it's not played on the radio or on on mixes as much as it used to. You don't hear it as much. It's a phenomenal song. What's your thought on this song? It's a jam. It started off as a jam session. It's mostly Paul. It's mostly a Paul song. John kind of went along with it. John never thought much of the song. But it's really a Paul McCartney song. High energy, and there's so many tracks. It's, it's loaded with so many guitar tracks. It's filled up with so much music. It's really very thick. Then you've got you know the background vocalists. You've got the girls singing in the background. Actually, Frank, Francie Shorts sings in the background on Birthday. I believe Yoko is in there. I believe Patty Boyd is in there as well. So it's a, it's a happy, fun song. I mean, it's, it's kind of like the Beatles doing their own version of Happy Birthday. That's really what it is. And it is. It's, it's a very happy song. Now the drums are kicking on that. Is that Paul also? Because they're... No, they're, no, no, that's Paul. Ringo, Ringo came back. Yeah, they're they're masterful. I mean, they're so they snap really well with this. Got, uh, everybody's got something to hide except for me and my monkey. It's- come on, come on. It's a John Lennon. It's uh, we're talking about drugs. The monkey was supposed to be the drug that he's uh, trying to hide, but I don't believe that's exactly what it means. What do you think? Well, monkey is another term, slang term for heroin. Again, so. Everybody's got something to hide except for me and my monkey. Now, some people thought that the monkey is a slang dig. But why would John do a dig at Yoko? Why would John call Yoko a monkey? Yeah. That, doesn't quite, that doesn't quite sound right. But he's talking about everybody's got something to hide except for me and my monkey. So who's John's monkey? Is it Yoko? Or is it he needs a fix again? Now this is another fantastic rock song. Uh, oh, yeah, oh, it, yeah, it just starts out with a guitar and it just it, oh, all the way great. to the the cowbells at the end. It's fantastic. By the way, 
He also says, uh, the deeper you go, the higher you fly. The higher you fly, the deeper you go. I mean, you want to talk about a, uh, a drug reference? Come on. Yeah. Um, I know that we should probably talk about Helter Skelter. Uh, oh. It's it's the third song off this album, or side that I'm going to talk about. It's just, it just has so much uh, steeped history. We're talking about 50 years, the Helter Skelter. When I get to the bottom, I go back to the top of the slide. Helter Skelter was the Beatles doing metal. Absolutely. Years before the term even existed. Might even say heavy metal. It is unbelievable to this very day no one could ever do a recording like this. It's actually, Paul wrote it in response to Pete Townsend saying in late 67 that the Who had recorded the dirtiest, the heaviest, the rockiest song ever. And that song was a song called I Can See For Miles. Now, if you compare I Can See For Miles with Helter Skelter, come on. Yeah. It makes I Can See For Miles sound like a lullaby. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Harrison, I mean, what the Beatles are doing on Helter Skelter is mind-boggling. It's experimental. It's, it's glaring, flat-out rock and roll. It's dissonant. It's, it's actually angry. McCartney's vocals are out of this world. Nobody can sing Helter Skelter like McCartney. And it's just one of the most outstanding songs on the album. And again, it's a perfect example of how eclectic the White Album, by far, is the most eclectic album the Beatles ever recorded. Hands down. Yeah, I would say that Helter Skelter is like a, a, a beginner's kit for heavy metal. Uh, yeah. There's so many yes. riffs what not it's just absolutely You know, I'm going to cheat a little because I'm really loving this. Uh, I didn't talk about any George Harrison songs, and he's really put some great songs in. The the ending song on on side three is long, 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 which yeah. I find is creepy, eerily fun. I think it's a great song. But what is your take on, on Long, Long, Long? It's a very peaceful, kind of meditative song, musically. The style of it is... It's been a long, long, long time. Very soft vocal. Yeah, very easy. 
very smooth. And the guitar part is almost like an Indian raga. So George was still having a little bit of the Indian music influence on this song. But the thing that is interesting is, is that the ending of the song is something you would never anticipate happening. No one would ever think that the song would end the way it did. And what happened was when they were recording it, there was a wine bottle that was on the Leslie speaker cabinet, which has the revolving speaker that spins around. And, and they actually, when they had the speaker going around on the Leslie speaker cabinet, the wine bottle started spinning as well. It started spinning. And that's why there is that unusual sound at the end of the song. It's a very peculiar ending. I Quite honestly, it's, it's intriguing, but it doesn't quite fit in with the rest of the song. No. Rather experimental. It's, it's an experimental, accidental ending, as I would call it. look at uh, the time has passed and you throw Helter Skelter and Long 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 together and then you got Piggies and it, it's just these are songs that are being picked out you know by, by the Manson family that that it changed the meanings of those songs you know unfortunately they, they got stolen we're gonna go yeah. we're gonna go to side four what is your take on Revolution Wine I take two McCartney taking John's rocker and making it into a, a pop, kind of a mid-tempo pop song. <laughs> That's my interpretation of it. Because John, as you know, when he did the single, there was nothing like this. Nothing. There's no resemblance whatsoever, stylistically, in terms of the arrangement, in terms of the production. I think it was Paul just having fun with the John song. I think they did a good job with it. I kind of like it. It's kind of cool. I like the sax parts, the bouncy sax bits that go on, go on in tune. So that's my take on it. Yeah, I think it's uh, it's interesting. It has that doo wop, like slow down doo wop vibe to it. But I think that they were really promoting the lyrics. The lyrics were very interesting at the time. And you're talking about a revolution. We're talking about a revolution here, right. you know, during the time of, you know, the civil rights time period, and we're talking about Vietnam and. You know, That's right. And this is this is like a theme song, and to slow it down, we want you to hear these lyrics. We want you to hear what it's about. Um, it's it's impressive in both uh, 
incarnations. I have a problem with it, with what you just said, because this is the name of the song is Revolution, right? The single clearly musically delivered a message of revolution. Everything about it, the music perfectly matched the lyrics. But if you're having a revolution, you say revolution. I mean, that doesn't sound like a revolution to no. me. You know, the music doesn't match the lyrics for me in this one. No, you're right. It's crazy. Like I, I feel that that's the reason they're like, these lyrics are so important. We feel like we're we're hitting a nerve here that we just we'll slow it down so you can hear these. We want you to meditate on it. And of course, I think Nike took it, and for the '80s, Revolution was considered selling sneakers. I believe. Um, what you brought up about Revolution Number Nine and Hey Jude coming out now. Revolution Number Nine is 8 minutes and 22 seconds, and Hey Jude is about 7 minutes or so. There's no reason why they couldn't have popped uh, Revolution 9 out and threw Hey Jude in and had a really, the, the scare factor of Revolution number 9 out of there. Um, it's a little disturbing. So what what's your take on that, that mix? And uh, how did George Martin get involved in this? It sounds like this is something he'd have a big no on. Number 9? Number suggesting maybe i heard you incorrectly but are you suggesting that they instead of releasing hey jude as the a side that they would release revolution nine as the a side no. <laughs> <laughs> okay so <clears throat> this is this is john and yoko this is john being influenced by electronic music john and paul were listening to Stockhausen. they were listening to uh Boulez, they were listening to uh, Pierre Henri, these electronic music composers that were happening in the 60s. So John, being experimental and having fun with tape loops and, and just messing around with sounds and stuff, he created, he created Revolution 9. And it starts off with number 9, because John was born on October 9th, and it's John's favorite number. Okay. Now, McCartney did not want this on the album. He was against it because it's so anti-Paul. 
at the time, especially. Even though, even though Paul was also aware of what was going on with electronic music and these quote-unquote serious electronic music composers who I've mentioned. So John and Yoko go to town with it, and it's not a song. Number one, people make the mistake of calling it a song. It is not a song. It's called music concrete. That's the actual term for an electronic music piece. That's exactly what this is. It's not a song. There's no melody. There's no lyrics to speak of. It's electronic music. So when I first heard it, it blew my mind because, again, no one could have anticipated that this would be on a Beatles album. Because it has nothing to do with the Beatles, so to speak. I mean, we didn't know if the Beatles would do this kind of thing. But because they're so innovative and because John is so experimental, that this is why it's on the album. And, of course, because John insisted that it be on the album. So I think it's fascinating. Um, I actually like the fact that it's on the album because, again, it represents the extreme eclecticism. I mean, I mean to go from, come on, Revolution 9 to a song like Birthday, I mean, how in the hell could it be the same band, right? They're so far apart. Yeah, the Revolution 9, I guess if you're, if you're taking that, John and Yoko had uh, about three or four experimental albums right after that. Very similar to what this the tape looping here is. What did, what yeah. did you call it again? It's not music, It's not a song, it's what? Music concrete is the actual term. The compositional, electronic music compositional term is called music concrete. Now, this fueled everyone's uh, Paul is Dead vibe. You, yeah. Turn Me On Dead Man is, is yeah. Revolution Number 9 and then rise is in there and and it, a car crash or supposedly and it's yeah. it's just a mind it, it's it's almost like watching Blair Witch Project. It's it has everything there, and it lets your mind create, uh, you know, some some kind of fantasy there. I don't think that yeah. was their intention, you know, to have a, a pause. That do you know if anyone ever said, "Oh, Revolution"? If you turn it backwards, says, uh, "Turn me on, Dead Man." Do you think anyone thought that, or did you feel that? Oh, by the way, it just happened that way. Okay, now you're getting into the whole. Paul McCartney Death Helps, which is an entire, you know, I'd love to do a whole show with you just on that subject alone, because there's so much to cover with that one subject. But to, to, to make it brief, in terms of this, back then when the turntables came out, when the tape turntables were around back then, you were able to play albums backwards just by simply spinning them in the reverse direction with your finger. And so with all the clues that were coming out later, in the autumn of 69. Everybody was doing that with Revolution 9, and they heard, to me on Dead Man, to me on Dead Man. And I heard it, I heard it. It's like, you can hear it. It's not something that I'm making up. No, it's so there, the question, it's the question there. Is, the question is, were the Beatles in on it? Were they just having fun? Was it a marketing ploy just to increase record sales? Because to this day, Ringo and Paul, and when John was alive, they always denied it. Oh, we had nothing to do with that. No, no, no. There's just some people making it up. We had nothing to do with the Paul McCartney death. I think differently. 
I think they were very well aware of what they were doing because there's dozens and dozens and dozens of clues, gra graphic clues, visual clues, album cover clues, lyric clues, etc., etc. So I think that they were just having fun with us, and it was they were just having a big laugh. That's what I think. Uh, I think so too. I also believe that. I mean, they were such a, a large, uh, you know, group, and they decided not to tour. And all of a sudden, how do you keep your your records interesting? And Paul was the most lovable one. So what if what if we came up with this? And all of a sudden, Sergeant Pepper came out and started your level, you know, your series of clues, and then it just continued. And and um, it's fun. It's almost like you know, Where's Waldo kind of vibe. It's 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 big. And there's a lot of stuff there. So with Revolution Number Nine, it just seems like it was a only designed to turn the story and make it go further. You know, it certainly supports it. That's yeah. for sure. Yeah. Now we're going to finish up with uh, side four with uh, uh, a very sweet uh, goodbye song called "Good Night" by Ringo Starr. I consider it, I think, my fifth favorite album of all time. It sold 19, uh, 19 times platinum in America. Um, it is revered, and I, I think if anyone felt that they could make an album like this, they would. I don't think anything compares to it. No, it's a standalone, absolute standalone. Yeah. Now, I know that on, on Facebook right now, they're saying, what is your favorite Beatle album? And people were ranking it, and Abbey Road is up there. But I, I don't see why this album is shouldn't be number one, just for its creativity that's attached to it, I guess. Yeah, well, again, it's hard to compare the White Album with Rubber Soul. It's almost like two entirely different bands. Rubber Soul, there was some continuity in terms of songwriting style, 
right? In terms of harmonies, in terms of vocals. But the White Album is unlike any other Beatle album. It's not like Abbey Road, you know? It's not like Let It Be. It's just a standalone individual album that the Beatles did that reflected who they were, what they were doing at the time in 1968. And there you have it, folks. How about that? By saying that uh, today and tomorrow on Come Together with the Beatles and Brooke Halperin, it's the Beatles and solo Beatles weather songs? That's correct. Yeah, there's been a lot of weather going on. There's always some weather going on, whether you're in England, Ireland, or Baltimore, That's or right. in Los, or Los Angeles. There's always something going on. So what I do with my show, just to make it interesting, as opposed to just playing a bunch of Beatles songs, I come up with themes for every song. Oh, excuse me. I come up with themes for every show. So I thought, well, this is kind of fun because there are weather songs. You know, the Beatles have songs about the sun, there's sunny songs, there's songs about the rain, and there's even songs about the wind, and there's even songs about the fog. So that's why I did that. It was a lot of fun. People seem to enjoy it. Yeah. Uh, and that's on Sunday, Saturday and Sunday at 12 noon. It's uh, Pacific time, and it's 99.1. KBU and it's at radiomalibu.net and yeah. um, can they, do they have to catch you live or is there any way that sometimes they can get you um, you know, your, your uh, recording that week gotta catch me live and if you miss me on Saturday and Sunday on radiomalibu.net you can hear the same show on Tuesday Thursday and Friday on W Rock Radio which is wrockradio.com. And that's on Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays. So there's five different days, five different times that people can catch my show each week. Well, I thank you very much, uh, Brooke, for joining us. That something came from Baltimore. Well, thank you very much, Tom. I always enjoy being with you, and I look forward to doing it again with you sometime soon. Hi, it's Tom Gowker, and I am the host of Something Came From Baltimore. Something Came From Baltimore is a words and music podcast, and it has famous and future famous artists, artists like Sean Jones, Rupert Holmes, Auntie Hammy, Joey DeFrancesco, Go-Go Penguin, Joey Alexander, Bucanti, Gerald Albright, Paula Cole, and Kat Edmondson. It's music that matters. It's music for your ears. Listen and subscribe to Something Came From Baltimore and be a part of that Be More music scene.